Welcome back to Footnotes with Dr. Tony Caffey. Um, as always, Adam Castellano, I haven't changed my name. Uh, with me is Pastor Tony. It's good to see you again, Tony. Hey, Adam. Good to see you, ma'am. And we have, of course, been moving through the book of Hebrews. And today we're going to talk about what you called one of the scariest passages of Scripture, or I think most so. intense, um, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 39. Uh, an intense passage, of course, and for those who haven't heard the sermon, of course, go check it out. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about it. Um, it's, this passage, you know, previously uh, the writer of Hebrews was giving some good news, but of course now he has to bring down the hammer. Mm -hmm. And he's giving a very strong warning. Uh, you titled your message, Perseverance of the Saints, mm -hmm. and you explained, I think, pretty um, adequately how this passage is, is largely addressing um, people who participate in church services and the community, but we often call them false converts or people who, who may outwardly uh, call themselves Christians, but in their heart, there's never been true faith, true repentance. Mm. And this is a very powerful warning, of course, to people like that. Yeah, so this is a warning passage, yeah. the fifth, if I remember correctly, in Hebrews. There's one more to come, but mm. this is the strongest. And there's a way in which Adam, you know, where it, it is terrifying. There, Even Paul talks about the nature of, you know, making sure that we are in the faith and how that's mm -hmm. uh, a discipline even in the life of a believer. Uh, so there's the warning component of it. There's the part of it that we as Christians take and we we examine ourselves. Um, but I, I think even more importantly than that, it helps us categorize those types of people that we find in the church who, you know, don't manifest the, the signs of repentance mm -hmm. and life change, or, you know, in, in most cases, too, those individuals kind of drift off or kind of yep. wander away from the faith, and, you know, that's what that First John passage is about, trying to theologize how mm -hmm. somebody who goes away, were they ever of us? No, they went from us because they were not of us. Um, so it's helpful in that way because we need to know as Christians that there's going to be false converts that intermingle within our churches. Yep. When they run away or fall away, uh, it can be very disorienting for Christians. Mm -hmm. People you grow up with or people that you know are celebrities in our day, Christian celebrities. You know, they're, they're not real celebrities, but mm -hmm. kind of um, who, you know, all of a sudden they're renouncing their faith, and you're like, what in the world? And that the disorientedness that we have, we need to process it, and we look in the Bible and we say, oh, Jesus talked about weeds among the wheat that... He'll sort out at the harvest. First uh, John talks about this with those who go away. Hebrews has we already dealt with Hebrews six. Now we're dealing with Hebrews ten, as reference to this. There's um, you know several different places within the New Testament where we have a description of those who don't persevere in faith. Um, in this particular instance, this is probably the strongest one that's linked to a sin component. There's some kind of sin that they love so much they're not willing to renounce it, repent of it. Um, that, you know, we all deal with sin, you know, so it's not like somebody who's got an ongoing struggle with sin that they're trying to 
uh, trying to overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like, no, I'm I'm a sinner, and I'm okay with that, and I embrace this as mm-hmm. part of my identity, and I also want to be a Christian, and that's that's not feasible according to, to Hebrews 10. Yeah, and I think this passage has been used, from my experience, by certain churches and people that try to convince you that this is directed to your sincere believers, that if they keep sinning, all this terrible stuff will happen. And even um, there are churches and denominations and people who think you can lose your salvation. Yep. And of course, this is probably the biggest passage they point to, to say, look, yep. you're sinning, you're sinning deliberately. If you don't you know, do this, this, and this, you could lose your salvation. And of course, you, of course, as you just explained and maintained in the message, this is referring to people who are among the Christians and, and claim to be Christians, but there are these telltale signs that they're not in the faith, there is no fruit, as John the Baptist said, in keeping with repentance. Yep. And I think that's important for Christians to understand, because I know some, and we all encounter them, who have sincere belief or appear to be uh, sincere believers, but are terrified of this passage, thinking mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not perfect, I'm still screwing up. Does this mean I'm trampling underfoot the Son of God? Mm-hmm. And making that distinction, I think, is so important, because... There is a huge difference. Being born again means that you're saved, Mm -hmm. but we're still being sanctified. Mm -hmm. And struggling with sin doesn't mean you're a false convert. But I think to make, as you explained, having like a a complete lack of concern Mm -hmm. or you know just no repentance. Like Mm -hmm. if you had someone come to you and said, you know, Pastor Tony, I love the Lord, I follow Christ, but I'm afraid I'm one of these people because I'm struggling with you know whatever the sin may be. Let's say you know anger. What do I do? So how would you talk about that? Well, the key word there is struggle, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm struggling with this. Okay. Mm, Yeah. Me me too. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I got my own struggles and, and and it's okay to struggle. In fact, it's biblical to struggle. Yeah. You know, we will. That's why we're giving, we're given these weapons of warfare Mm -hmm. in Ephesians 6. Yeah. And, uh, and we can help with that in the church. We'll help you with the struggle. We'll help Mm -hmm. you with accountability. We'll help you with... Uh, maybe scriptures that can speak directly to your issue of sin. We have a biblical counseling program here that you're active in and yep. your wife, and so there's ways that we can even come at it that way. Um, but, I mean, I mean, the key word is struggle. Mm-hmm. There has to be a struggle. There right. can't be a uh, an identity wrapped up in that sin. And mm-hmm. I, I'm using that word identity very uh, strategically because th- that's the way a lot of uh, sin condoning is is framed. Mm, this is right. who I am. I can't divorce myself from mm-hmm. this sin because it is me. Right. And you know, we serve a jealous God. Christ, mm-hmm. you know, Christ won't allow that for your identity to be wrapped up in something outside of Himself. And He can't coexist either with you know the the somebody who's uh, committed to the sin with the same kind of vehemence that. They're committed to Christ. In fact, that's right. impossible. Yep. So that that that's the issue. And and I appreciate your pastoral heart. There there are going to be those within the church who, uh, you know, s- struggle with assurance, struggle with, mm-hmm. um, you know, that that kind of tender conscience about did I, didn't I? You know, mm-hmm. sometimes it comes up with the unforgivable sin. Did I f- commit yeah. some unforgivable sin? And you know, pastorally, you got to walk people through that. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've said several times, the only unforgivable sin is unrepentance, is unbelief. And so a, a, a sincerity in your heart to uh, 
uh, and concern for that is evidence that you haven't committed that. Like yeah. you're still in the realm of wanting to to manifest a life of repentance and faithfulness to the Lord, which is, you know, that's an evidence of salvation. I think we need to say this too, Adam. You know, we don't know everybody's heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't discern somebody's sincere faith or not. Um, and so we're we're looking for, I guess, clues in people's lives, mm-hmm. pastorally, and then in the in the church world, to to discern that their faith, um, not not so that we can tag them or so <laughs> that we can, you know, put a sticker on them. This this is, you know, one hundred percent grade A Christian yeah. right here. Uh, I mean, that's just not possible. But but we do need to make uh, wise di- discerning, um, you know, judgments in terms of. Of how we see people in the church, and there's there's a place. I talked about this when I preached on James this last Wednesday. You know, if if you got somebody who's like dickering around with a sinfulness that's going to destroy their family, hmm. they want to chase some sin fantasy. They want to, you know, maybe they're already committing adultery, and and they they hmm. don't care. You know, we as Christians, brothers in the church, brothers and sisters both, can't just say, oh, well, he's saved by the blood of Jesus, no <laughs> worries. You know, we're, we're tasked, mm-hmm. even in terms of the New Testament command, to, to go up to that person and say, yeah. look, man, you're going to destroy something in your mm-hmm. life. And also, let me say this, you know, doesn't the Holy Spirit inside you, like, bring a sense of conviction about yeah. this sin? You want this sin more than you want mm-hmm. obedience to Christ? That doesn't... That doesn't smell of somebody who's converted. So yeah. walk me through why you would want to do that, or why that's yeah. true in your life. And, and and I, you know, I talked about this too on that Wednesday. Uh, just the nature of church being invasive. It's you know, mm. we're called to this kind of mutual care, love, and even uh, calling to account one another. Not with the spirit of judgment or condemnation. We need to be careful about that, mm-hmm. but we are to judge, little J, judge one another yeah. in the sense that we're um, we're here to uh, to keep each other accountable for yeah. for their actions. Yeah, and I think that's a good distinction of that term struggling. And I think even in Hebrews, at one point, he says, "You have not struggled yet in your battle against sin to the point, point of, of death." Point of death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So even the writer acknowledges that there it is a struggle, and I find that the idea of your identity is so interesting because, mm-hmm. at least from my own observations, that's one of the definitions of an idol, is something you draw your identity from. Yeah. And so if someone is you know, identifying, as you had mentioned in, in your sermon, you know, I'm a gay Christian or LGB, whatever Christian, mm-hmm. you're attaching this thing to your identity, mm-hmm. and it kind of screams very loudly what that person is truly you know, idolizing or cherishing. Mm-hmm. It's this identity... That is, you know, a blatant sinful behavior, and it's it's not always what we define as idol. Usually, Christians are like they'll say an idol is anything you love more than God, and that's true. But what does love look like? What does worship look like? And I've come to realize that a part of it is drawing your sense of self worth, your purpose, your identity from that thing. Mm-hmm. So it could be, you know, sexuality. It could be, you know, a job or money or even good things like family. But whenever we elevate it to that place of identity, mm-hmm. we're trying to get from it something we only get from Christ. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good distinction to make um, so we can identify those potential idols in our hearts or whatever the case may be. 
Little children, keep yourself from idols. That's right. In the first John. Yeah, such a interesting way to end a book. It's downright weird, <laughs> but uh, it, it gets your attention, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. So you also said that another telltale sign that the writer of Hebrews is warning about is someone who fails to persevere in faith. Mm-hmm. And of course, this is a big topic as you know, Protestant Christians. We understand this perseverance that if someone's been chosen by God, he's put his seal on them as the Holy Spirit, they're, they're going to persevere to the end. Mm-hmm. And that's even a term that the Hebrews writer speaks about a lot. Um, but someone who's so quick to fall away is unlikely to be someone who has true faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know this is part of why you you preach a message like this. So if we see someone that is showing this kind of evidence, they've drifted away or you know deconverted. Mm-hmm. Let's say, in, in perfect, perfect examples in my own family, we have people who have done this to a certain extent. What should the Christian response be? You know, if they're, they don't show remorse for their sin, and I know so, someone specifically, they don't show remorse for their sin, they're drawing their identity from these things, and they've even talked about how they've deconstructed their faith. That's another mm-hmm. trendy word, you know, they're deconverted or I deconstruct my faith. How should a Christian respond? Because from the pulpit, a message like this can provoke people like that yeah. to realize, oh, wait a minute, I'm not who I say I am. And potentially, you know, the Holy Spirit can use it. So a Christian here who's listening, there may be a lot of parents who've had children do this. What should their attitude be? Like, can these people come to Christ, you know, not back to Christ, but really for the first time, how should they talk to them? How should they pray for them? Well, I think conversation needs to be focused on the gospel. So, you know, deconstructing your faith... I often wonder, people say that, like, what was your faith to begin with? Yeah. Was it Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, or was it some kind of moralistic framework for how I please God? Yeah. Well, I'm all for deconstructing that, because that's not mm-hmm. Christianity. That's yep. uh, a, that's moralism. That's, mm-hmm. that's, in my opinion, the way in which all religions, when you boil them down to their... Yeah, their essence. It's it's that kind of moralistic framework where Christianity is not that. But yeah, I, I mean, I I have family members, friends as well who have gone through that process of of deconstructing, and and very few of them, quite honestly, deconstruct and or even use that term and and come out of it and say, "Oh, I was right all along in terms <laughs> of who Jesus was." Yeah. But basically, when I see that, that's a fast track to what we would call deconversion or what they mm-hmm. you know celebrate as deconversion yeah now and um you know from from my perspective that's somebody who is not persevering in faith somebody who mm-hmm. wasn't genuinely converted in the first place so yeah. we come back and we say this is the gospel this is what we believe this is the revelation of scripture this is the truth as it relates to uh how you know i understand if you want to personalize it um my need, my sin, my need for a savior. What Jesus mm-hmm. died, did for me, dying for me, um, and I want you to believe this. And I, I here it is again for you to receive um, or reject. Either way, I'll be here when you're ready to talk mm-hmm. about it or interested in talking about it. I, I think it's important, though, in situations like that, we don't feed assurance of salvation to somebody mm-hmm. who's in process of you know, 
deconstructing, deconverting, you know, oh, well, you prayed a prayer when you were five years right. old, so you must be saved. Okay, now, hold on now. Mm-hmm. You know, are you attributing to some kind of magical utterance of words <laughs> somebody's salvation? No, mm-hmm. maybe somebody is wrestling for the first time in their life with yeah. things they just parroted because, you yeah. know, Grandma gave them cookies to go <laughs> pray a prayer and get baptized. Yeah. So I, th- I think we need to take people's statements like that seriously and meet them where they are and not, you know, hammer them or or uh, clobber them, uh, but just mm-hmm. reiterate the truth of the gospel as we have opportunity, keeping in mind passages that speak about, you know, um, you know, Jesus shaking the dust off your feet, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff where, you know, if you, you, uh, you know, go too hard and too fast after somebody who's rejecting you, you you could even damage your opportunity to continue mm. to communicate with that person. That's that's as practical as I, I can be. Yeah. I, th- I think we should probably define the term perseverance of the saints just mm-hmm. to give people a sense of what we mean by that. So, uh, you know, in the Reformed tradition, that's the P on the tulip. Mm. Uh, so, you know, the five points of Calvinism involve perseverance of the saints, and I prefer that term to uh, once saved, always saved, sure. or uh, even eternal security, although I appreciate the term eternal security as well, because, you know, I grew up in Texas, I've talked about this before, you know, once saved, always saved was used, I think, in some context to justify little Junior who went down to the front and prayed a prayer, mm-hmm. and, you know, if he got saved then, then he's always saved. Uh, it it can be, I think, falsely uh, attributed to people who mm. had never really had genuine conversion and right. didn't show the fruit of that conversion. So perseverance of the saints is a better, more, honestly, more Calvinistic way of understanding our faith. That's uh, the way in which the Reformers understood genuine salvation, is that if you're saved, the Spirit indwells you, you're, you're going to, in light of that, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, mm-hmm. you're going to mature, you're going to grow, you're going to uh, demonstrate, um, you know, empirically that that evidence of your salvation, and you're, you're going to finish in, mm-hmm. in faith. Yeah. So um, so I think that's helpful for, for me. I, I think it's biblical, too. It's not like the Reformers were just picking up categories out of thin air. Right. They're trying to distill uh, the, the paradigm of the Scriptures uh, with with you know categories that make sense and are helpful in synthesis. So that's the nature of perseverance of the saints. I mm-hmm. believe it. And I think the book of Hebrews, among other books, but especially in the book of Hebrews, teaches it. Yeah. And when it comes to, as you had mentioned, talking to someone who may deconvert, have walked away, it's important to exercise that discernment where you can sit th- sit down with them, see where they're at, try to encourage them to come back to Christ. But you know, like that idea of shaking the dust off your feet. Like there are times where Jesus spoke in such a way where it was it was like that. You know, when there were unbelievers and they were rejecting what he had to say, then he said stuff that was almost like deliberately driving them away. Mm-hmm. Like in John six, where he's like, "Eat my flesh, drink my blood." We understand what that means, but that also was meant to shock them. After he told them repeatedly, believe in me, believe in me. And, mm-hmm. and then there's many other times where he'd just done that. Woe to you, you brood of vipers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or I think it's in John, I think 10, where he says, you know, you are gods, qu- quoting the Old Testament. 
And the context seems to be like he's saying he's he's not explaining anything. He's just kind of throwing back at them the law to confound them because they were just about to stone him for referring to himself as God. So it's like there are these times when it's difficult for us to to draw those lines, and maybe for some people we never draw those lines if the Lord leads. But if someone is stubbornly rejecting Christ and is is not showing fruit of a saved life, but is deconverted or whatever, they're Sometimes we have to draw that line. Like I think in a previous podcast, I mentioned a friend of mine from college who did that. He was in ministry for years and now openly not a Christian, teaching all this stuff about the universe. I had to decide that, you know, I can't maintain any kind of communication with him, huh. mainly because through social media, I didn't really have a way to, to connect in, a, in an honest way. It, it would yep. have been just him posting some nonsense Mm-hmm. And me, like, I'm not gonna like it. I'm not gonna thumbs up it. I'm, but <laughs> there's no way to meaningfully communicate. Exactly, and I can't even writing a comment underneath might not fall on deaf ears. So I realized it was better totally. to to draw that line. So I'm not. You feel you feel like the peanut gallery when you're ever you're exactly like, doing the Facebook comments. Exactly, stuff. like hey, me too. You know, <laughs> and just the idea of even me staying, you know, Facebook friends with him was almost like confirming his lifestyle now and i re- and for him and not for everyone but for him i realized i need to mm-hmm. no longer do that just to disconnect and if he ever returns to christ or if i have an opportunity to see him face to face then i would mm-hmm. embrace that but it was one of those situations where i had to be you know kind of like all right mm-hmm. you've renounced christ it's not a matter of i'm just struggling you've renounced christ so i have to make it clear where i stand on that i'm i'm with christ i'm not going to back away so there it's difficult but there are times where we have to do that you bring up a good hermeneutical question, though, mm-hmm. because we want to be like Jesus, and there's aspects of Jesus' life where we sh- should definitely imitate. Yep. Um, but there's also prescriptive and descriptive elements in Jesus' life. So, for instance, we want to be like Jesus, but we're not going to die on the cross for somebody else's sin. That I mean, that's a yeah, that's a descriptive matter, not a prescriptive matter. Mm-hmm. Um, should we go around saying to Pharisees, "Woe to you, you <laughs> brood of vipers"? You know, right. um, I, probably not. I don't mm-hmm. think we have the wherewithal in terms of our spiritual maturity, like Jesus did, to, well, yeah. to pull that off. Should we go, you know, with whips and cords and beat people in in churches where they're teaching prosperity gospel? I don't know. I mean, that that seems a little extreme. Um, it does. I appreciate the practical nature of what you're bringing up here because children will have parents who have renounced their faith. What mm-hmm. do you do with that? Yeah. Parents will have children who, I mean, this is real. Yeah. Are embracing an LGBT lifestyle and now they don't know what to do with their kids. And <clears throat> I guess in terms of familial bonds, like I would encourage, um, as best you can, the the continuity of that to mm. keep keep going to see and spend time with your parents who may or may not have renounced their faith and keep praying for them. You know, this is pretty personal actually for me and my wife. Um, if you have kids that uh, are involved in that lifestyle or who have you know renounced their faith, maybe it's not LGBT, maybe it's just like I they deconstructed and now they don't believe it. I would say, uh, you know. Don't cut them off. Continue to build that relationship. Continue to spend Thanksgiving and Christmas together. Try to be as civil as possible and as kind mm-hmm. as you can and look for your opportunities to speak. Continue to pray for them. Yep. Um, and 
you know, I, I guess I'm still agreeing with what you're saying in terms of your your friend. I guess mm-hmm. there are those moments as well, and there's moments in which the church needs to engage in church discipline, just mm-hmm. as a corollary, where we do have to intentionally, yeah. you know, disassociate with somebody, which is really painful, mm-hmm. but necessary in cases where people need to repent of sin. Um, and so I, I'm agreeing with you, but at the same time, I think some. The, the exception to that was probably the familial bonds that we have. That, right. um, as best you can, you should keep those intact and and pray for an opportunity to speak to somebody's heart about these matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. When family is involved, there is a bond that you want to maintain. Mm-hmm. And there's no church discipline for families. No, yeah. Especially, and if it's a grown up person, you there's no parental discipline, right? Once they're grown up, they're <laughs> yeah. out of the house, you know. And and I know of people, and in my own family, there's people who have parents that aren't walking with the Lord, and or siblings and older children. And yeah, I would agree. It's you want to maintain that relationship, the familiar relationship, and God can use that at some point in the future, mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, in His will to to open up their eyes. Um, mm-hmm. Any final thoughts on this passage? I know there's so much that we could say. Yeah, and there there is the prospect here in Hebrews 10, but also Hebrews 6 even stronger, that somebody will do something or will be in, engaged in something that permanently removes them from the possibility of conversion, salvation. Mm. I, I mean, that's really strong in Hebrews 6. So I, I think we should read that. I think we should believe that. Mm-hmm. But I, I think we need to be careful to not label somebody that. So, Mm -hmm. for instance, if we do have somebody who, um, you know, maybe they were grew up in the church or something and they walk away and, you know, it it might be easy in a situation like that to dismiss them and say, oh, this is Hebrews 6. Mm. There's, it's impossible for somebody like that to come back to, to be converted. And, and, and maybe that's true, Mm -hmm. you know, but I'm, more inclined to leave that to the Lord's discernment. Mm-hmm. I'm going to still preach the gospel. I'm right. still going to hold out hope for them. I'm still going to, um, you know, however you want to frame it, offer up the the truth that I hold to and believe that God can save them. You know, maybe um, and and leave you know whatever judgment might be wrapped up in Hebrews six and Hebrews ten. Leave that mm-hmm. to the Lord. Yeah. I always like to think there's always hope if they're still breathing. True. We could, you know, just put it in God's hands. All right. Yeah. True. So this has been Footnotes with uh, Dr. Tony Caffey. As always, thank you, Pastor Tony, for being with us. Uh, every episode is available at vbvf.org in our podcast channel.